Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. Ah, yes, it's Friday. TGIF. We are approaching the weekend. Hickey and I are separated by that. And we have some ghosts talking in the background. But I think we're okay now. Kanoa Leahy coming to you from the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. And joining me up here, because it is a Friday, and he's the guy who's sort of on cleanup duty uh, when it comes to the guest hosting of this show, my man from Spectrum News, Brian McInnes. BMAC, what's up, buddy? There are worse things in the world than being in the cleanup spot on the batting order, am I right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a very important place to be, without a doubt. I mean, you're the one leaving the lasting impression going into the weekend. Today also happens to be... Uh, admission day, right, which basically is is statehood day, uh, more informally, and I'm wondering why we're here. Like, shouldn't we have the day off? Josh Pacheco is working the board. He is in uh, a managerial position here uh, with the radio station. So, uh, Josh, I ask you, why are we here? Shouldn't we have the day off? What's going on? This is a decision beyond my pay grade, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's not official. BMAC, you were working. You are working, in fact, today. Uh, a couple of things going on. We have the Honolulu Little League team in action uh, with that ball game at Williamsport starting at the end of this hour. So 1 p.m. Uh, on the air at 1245 over on our sister station, CBS 1500. Uh, BMAC, your thoughts here on uh, the Little League team gearing up for its second game in Williamsport? Man, it was just impressive to see them getting back to, to doing what they do seemingly on an annual basis in this setting. It's incredible. I mean, the talent of the, these youth baseball players yeah. coming out of this state annually. Fourth year in a row that a Hawaii Little League team has represented the West region in the Little League World Series. Yeah, that's wild. And they jumped all over that Northwest region team from Washington in that opener that they played on Wednesday. 11-1 to in a five-inning Mercy shortened game. They look great pitching. They look great situationally hitting up and down the the, uh, the batting order. So just banging, man. They they are a force. And it just it's crazy because it's not like this one league that is consistently going. Well, obviously this is another Honolulu team, and Gerald Oda once again is coaching. But you've had teams from West Oahu, you've had teams from Maui uh, that have served as as representatives in this thing. So yeah, it's just like Hawaii baseball's nuts, bro. Like it just has so much talent at such a young age. Uh, the coaching is great, uh, and I think fundamentally is where you kind of see like you see a lot of really talented players from other teams in this tournament. Uh, you know, players that are that are naturally gifted, they should be, you know, have, they should have to show their birth certificate every time they step to the plate because some of them look huge. And uh, sometimes I look and I'm like, I, I think I, I possibly discern like a goatee or the beginnings of like facial hair here. This kid's supposed to be 12 years old, right? But the Hawaii kids, regardless of their size or whatever, they just seem to be so fundamentally sound. And that's pretty remarkable at that age. I think back to what was it, the mid the mid 2000s when that Eva Beach team played Curacao oh, yeah. in the in the Little League Championship and that Curacao team had Jerks and Profar <laughs> yeah. and he he looked like 18 years that's old right, that's right. on that team already and um 
And look what he's still like doing his thing in the yeah. bigs. So and and yet that team, I think they pulled off a pretty huge comeback in that game from from Hawaii, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was awesome. And then, uh, well, and then you also had the story of Danny Almonte, who actually was uh, 18 years old, or pretty darn <laughs> close to it, I think, at the time when uh, he was pitching and pitching well in that tournament. But yeah, very cool. So uh, yeah, just a little programming note uh, that again starts uh, the game starts 1 p.m. over on CBS uh, 1500, but uh, the pregame will start at 12:45. Uh, but you can flip over right at the end of the show. That'd be fantastic. Kanoa Leahy along with BMAC Brian McKinnis coming to you from the PAXA studios in Honolulu. 296-1420 is the number to call. Uh, you can also text a question or comment uh, via the Zephyr Insurance text line at that number. So, uh, BMAC, uh, again, it was a work day despite it being admission day for you. You were out at UH football. Can you believe we are eight days away from the opener against Vanderbilt? Uh, it's going to be a 4.30 start time, which is going to be pretty tough, I think, especially for media members yeah uh spectrum is not calling that game we're, we're not broadcasting it so i'm not going to be broadcasting that game and, and there's a part of me that's uh, maybe feeling a little bit of relief because that sun when you're up Oof. there in the press box uh before it goes down over the horizon which is usually around 6 15 to 6 30 ish yep um it's brutal, man. It's brutal. And I just can't imagine 430. You're talking about almost two hours of that sun just beaten into that press box side. Um, <laughs> it, you know, hindsight being 2020, if the press box were on the other side, that'd be a little bit better. But even for some of the fans on that side of the stadium, uh, it's going to be bright. It's going to be hot. Oh, they got the luxury boxes on that side of the field. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. We know where we stand in the overall hierarchy <laughs> that's as exactly media right. members. Uh, no, they got those auxiliary press boxes that they set up on the 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 upper deck, if you will, of that uh, chin complex concrete superstructure of, of stands, and they added those right before the 2021 season, so that. You know, when they made it a playable venue, more media members could come out and, and cover the game, be it print, broadcast, radio. So, uh, yes, as you said, Kanoa, the, the sunlight comes in really into your eyes and it kind of makes those into a bit of a greenhouse uh, yeah, effect yeah. of <laughs> of those of capturing the heat. Yep. Yeah. And they they do have AC, so I, I really appreciate the fact that they installed AC in those auxiliary boxes. But you do feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were we were really whining here at the start we of the are. show, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's like hashtag first world problems. But seriously, <laughs> like you know, especially with like all the television equipment and all that stuff, that radiates heat as well. Uh, it's a sweat fest. I'm sitting like shoulder to shoulder with Rich Miano, and it's like you know, it's just not the the most ideal. Uh, temperature situation but that said we're eight days away from football man the uh football team is going to debut against vanderbilt timmy chang and this new coaching regime uh what's interesting is there has not been any official announcement as to who the starting quarterback is going to be i think timmy chang is just fine kind of keeping that at least on an official uh, basis under wraps even if uh, we're going to take that question all the way to to the opening kickoff and opening snap of that opening game uh, but you were down at practice today anything that kind of stood out to you in terms of the QB competition or, or any other things that caught your eye? Hey, look, it's what we've all kind of said or alluded to or if not stated outright, it's still Braden Shager as the as the lead guy. Uh, he's the one playing with the first team out there. He, he's, you know, getting, if not the lion's share of the snaps, at least the, the snaps with the most representative first team mm -hmm. offense the majority of the time. Now, those other guys are getting work. Cam and Cooper, Joey Yellen, uh, 
Jake Farrell, they, they are getting their turns on the rotation. It, it's not like this thing has been narrowed down to like a two horse race at this point. Uh, so there is definitely still some narrowing to be done between now and a week from tomorrow. Yeah, eight, eight days, as yeah. you said, it's coming up fast. Guys are all out there, like, you know, almost half the team wearing yellow scout team jerseys now. That's a new development over the last couple of days since they actually officially started Vanderbilt scout work. Uh, and wrapped up the the camp portion of fall practices. So, um, hey, you, you could feel it. I, you know, talked to Jonah Pinoke after practice today. He he uh, could sense the moment coming up in, in the very near future. And um, I don't know if they're ready yet, but I think they feel like, uh, based on how Chris Brown was yelling at guys out there today, that the urgency is definitely picking up. Yeah, it's, it's kind of upon us now, right? Like training camp, evaluation process, all that stuff. Well, it continues throughout the season in some form. Like now it's time, like you got to get game ready and uh, opposition specific ready. And so that's sort of what's happening now. And I think that tension is starting to wind up even more and will more and more as you go through next week uh, for sure. Maybe a, a more interesting question because it's not just the starter and I think uh, all signs seem to point towards Braden Shager at the very least being the the uh, favorite uh, or, or at least the leader in the clubhouse uh, to be the starting QB. But you have to put that depth chart together. And, of course, you know, when you're dealing with a slew of quarterbacks and even Braden Shager, who has the most experience in a Hawaii uniform, kind of being that de facto incumbent, so to speak, uh, the season is a long and winding road. And so there may be opportunities for other guys to get runs and get yeah. snaps uh, in this offense. And so... Out of the, if, if we are to assume that it's Braden Shager's gig, mm-hmm. uh, who in your eyes has been the most impressive outside of Braden Shager? It might be Jake Farrell, who, who's you know like, you know like a guy like Armani Eden, who's also you know still technically in that race as as maybe the the, the fifth, you know fifth quarterback. But Jake Farrell, he was impressive in the spring game, man. He you know he had some TD bombs and. Uh, I think it was him and uh, Tamatoa Mokiela Timalala who hooked up like three times in that game, mm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's maybe like one A or or you know the number two. I, I would just based this is purely based off my own observations, what I've seen out there. But um, they they do keep it, keep it rotating pretty fast and furious. Like Cameron Cooper is still you know he's a guy who probably at the other end of the spectrum in the spring game did not have his best game out there, but. He's been right there, I mean, in the in the rotation. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned Joey Yellen. Uh, I think he's had a couple of good practices here this yeah. week. Uh, it's been a bit up and down, certainly, but he's a guy who does have some experience in other offenses. So, you know, his, his prism of experience is perhaps wider, uh, although, you know, it's just about reps and getting used to the terminology and getting used to the system that uh, they are trying to run now, which uh, is interesting because we had Dior Scott on the show just the other day, and the way he defines this offense right now is that it is undefined. Like that's kind of their goal here is to make it as unpredictable and versatile as possible. It makes it a little bit difficult to talk about and certainly makes it a little bit more ambiguous as to what it's actually going to look like uh, during that opener against Vanderbilt. Uh, But yeah, so Joey Yellen, a guy who at least has has worked in a variety of systems that might eventually catch up uh, to him as as being maybe an advantage for him uh, in in getting some some run, getting some snaps here as this season moves forward. We have a uh, 
text. By the way, 296-1420 is the number. You can text via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, Haywood from Wahiawa. He texts in and says, guys, are they really going to get the TV screen from Aloha Stadium? Talking about the expansion project, which was just approved by the Board of Regents yesterday. And this is actually something I wanted to get into with you, BMAC, because uh, you were observing this. You, you yes. followed the dialogue and, and the discourse there. Uh, the latter part of this text from Haywood says, if they are going to bring that TV screen from Aloha Stadium, will UH need to pay for it? Uh, that is part of this $30 million expansion <laughs> project. It is uh, to include the relocation of the track, uh, which is going to go uh, at least presumably to where the grass practice fields are now, Cook Field, uh, and they're going to build more stands towards the field. They're going to try to build out about 17,000 seats uh, or at least make it accessible to 17,000 fans. Uh, and they want to include, yes, that video screen from Aloha Stadium. That was actually something they were anticipating being able to for this add season. for this season. That did not come to fruition, but uh, what's your response to uh, Haywood's text and question about that TV screen if UH will have to pay for how does that work? No, that's a great question, uh, Haywood. My, my understanding is from one state entity to another, this thing was going to be more or less just conveyed as something that was no longer of use to Aloha Stadium. Now, UH was going to have to pay for building the housing mechanism Correct. for this very large – it's going to look huge, I think, when they get this thing up. You know, right kind of behind the, the Eva end zone, facing towards Diamond Head. Yeah, sort of on the Les Murakami side, right? Right, right exactly. That, that's where they've got this thing, uh, you know, penciled in to go, really kitty corner from the video board that they put in for the 2021 yeah, season. That's yeah. a lot going to be a lot smaller. It's going to be like the, the, the little, you know, little sibling to the big boy <laughs> who's coming in uh, across the way. That's that's where all the eyeballs are going to go between plays, trust me, uh, once they get that thing in there, because it may not look have looked that big at Aloha Stadium, but, uh, of course, that was a much larger venue. So um, to answer your question, Haywood, I don't have any knowledge of UH having to pay for the board specifically, but there is an inherent cost in getting the steel and other building materials for, for the housing from the ground up to, to really hold that thing, uh, you know, a l only a little bit off the ground, but still, you, you have to elevate it a bit to make it visible. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. That, that's a really interesting point you make. That's because it's just it's perspective, right? And you think about that video screen in the fifty thousand massive seat stadium and, and cavernous facility that Aloha Stadium in many ways was, and then you put that over there at Clarence T C Ching Athletic Complex. That thing is going to be huge, man. <laughs> that's going to be huge. It's just like you know fitting a sixty-two inch TV screen into like some little uh, small cubicle or something like that. Uh, that's going to be kind of interesting. It could be kind of thrilling, as a matter of fact, I think, uh, for, for a lot of the fans who may not have been able to, to see uh, that video screen as uh, up close as they will uh, in, in this iteration of use. I would love, I gosh, I hope they do this when they, they actually bring the thing in, like on a giant flatbed truck or something. And I, I don't know if they break it down or if they reassemble it. I'm picturing like them hauling the board <laughs> on like a huge truck and, and bringing it through like the back gate of lower campus. And then uh, I would love to see after the fact, after they get it up, like a, a stop motion animation or like a oh, time lapse. Ta time yeah, lapse yeah, animation no, that's, I of, totally agree. Yeah. Of them 
erecting this thing <laughs> and just it's like disproportionate you know just <laughs> scope compared to everything else that's there right now yeah um now they are gonna fill in the corners is part of this plan to to expand at seventeen thousand. so each corner i believe will have some kind of seating you know bridging the the four uh areas of seats that that you know extend from both sidelines and the end zones, and they, they have to make some space for for tunnels for emergency vehicle access to the field, the, you know, ambulances and things of that nature, and uh, you know, a couple maybe bells and whistles added to, to both sideline areas of seats, and then expanding those end zone seats substantially, especially on the Eva side where the students are sitting right now. Well, good stuff. Yeah, oh, I do want to get into. Uh, we have to take a break here, but I do want to get into a little bit more of what your impressions were of the just discourse that took place at that Board of Regents meeting. It seems as though, you know, I, I, I joked yesterday that uh, greatness uh, oftentimes is born out of desperation, right? And it seems as though University of Hawaii is at a time now where it doesn't feel like it's the safest bet to just rely on the state legislature to get some of these projects like the new Aloha Stadium thing done. And I think UH is realizing like, hey, look, maybe we have to be a little bit more uh, self-sufficient in terms of of trying to get a hold of, of our fate here when it comes to this facility and uh, really with the ramifications of its FBS slash Division One football standing also hanging uh, in the balance. So I do want to uh, get a little bit of your reaction uh, to that. But uh, we have another text. Uh, this one says, do you guys think it's logistically possible for UH to expand the Ching Athletic Complex to 25,000? Or is that possible with building code restrictions and just limited space, period? Uh, there is some permitting stuff. I, I think there is, even at this point, a maximum number of people overall that can be on the lower campus uh, at one time. So there are limitations to that. Those are, those are permitting issues that become very clunky because you need to get buy-in from the surrounding community. And you're talking about residential homes, uh, and that can be a pretty sticky and, and dicey situation situation uh but i think yeah expanding it to twenty-five thousand would be a wonderful thing for hawaii to have this on-campus field slash stadium as an option even in the event of the new aloha stadium project being completed uh they could have a lot of the games on campus if it's a real brand name opponent or something like that they could go in and play it at aloha stadium where they could fit a, a few more fans or, or maybe thousands of more depending on what the final size is going to be there uh but uh yeah twenty-five thousand. Uh, I think it's possible, but it, yep. it would be a, a more significant project, which would also require a much more significant number of coins. Definitely. And I believe, Kanoa, like, so before they settled on this this proposal now approved to relocate the track to Cook Field, they looked at another variation where they kept the track in place, but they were going to build the stands back and higher where the the makai sideline is behind those luxury boxes keeping i believe those boxes where they are uh you know for the high rollers and vips uh but more seating behind and above those mm -hmm. boxes mm -hmm. all the way back to where the duke kahanamoku aquatic complex is basically right up to that uh they would remove some some you know sand practice courts that that are at, there at the moment uh that i believe was discounted this time around because of uh, higher costs, uh, just maybe logistically not as feasible when they looked at, hey, we can just move the track. Yes, there might be some upfront inconvenience for for that program. And, you know, while the lower campus 
construction mechanisms are all going uh, to make this thing work between January and August of next year to get it to I think they're they're trying for at least 15k at that mm. point. Well, uh, interesting. Yeah, we'll see uh, how it all uh, plays out. But um, yeah, we will talk a little bit more perhaps uh, about uh, what your impressions of that Board of Regents meeting and that discussion uh, were. Um, but before we go, ESPN Honolulu uh, brings you the big green rally. It's tomorrow, folks, 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. at the Varsity Circle Building parking lot across from Pucks Alley. Rainbow Warriors and Rainbow Wahine, they're kicking off their athletic season. So come on down, meet the student athletes, the coaches, the UH band, cheerleaders, and rainbow dancers. You can enjoy food vendors, a live DJ, BMAC. There's also going to be a full bar. Bar. Admission is free. For more info, visit BigGreenRally.com. All right. In other UH news, the Rainbow Wahine basketball schedule was announced yesterday. We're going to have uh, the reigning Big West Conference champion Rainbow Wahine basketball team's head coach, Laura Beeman. When we come back, you're listening to Let's Talk Sports. Welcome back. Let's talk sports. It is Friday. We got Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. He's the sports writer over there. He's up here. BMAC helping me out. We're coming to you from the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Josh Pacheco working the board. It was a banner season uh, last year for the Rainbow Wahine basketball program. And I mean that both figuratively and literally because they took the Big West championship, not just the regular season, but also the tournament, went to the NCAA dance. Uh, and so... It is now news for sure uh, upon the announcement yesterday of the fully unveiled upcoming schedule for the Rainbow Wahine basketball season. And as is usually the case uh, when it comes to Laura Beeman's scheduling, uh, it has some pretty tough uh, obstacles along the way. They will open for the second straight year on the road. Uh, at Oregon State and at Portland, November 7th and November 9th. But this is a schedule that includes uh, the likes of Stanford, uh, Florida Gulf Coast, uh, Grambling. Uh, this is this is not going to be uh, an easy schedule by any stretch. And that has never been the case uh, for a Beeman run program, that's for sure. We welcome Coach Beeman uh, via the phone line to the show. What's up, Coach? How's it going? Well, when I hear that, I'm not sure if it's going well. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think to myself, what what was I thinking when I was saying yes to this? You I, know? I, I, so, I wonder uh, that. I wonder. Yeah. Do you ever like look at because this is? I mean, this is your doing here. But do you ever just sit yeah. there and go like, "Come on, Laura, what were you doing?" Well, you know, I have to thank Alex Delaney, and he he actually does my scheduling. But yes, he does have to come to me and ask, "Hey, coach, what do you think?" and most of the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, it's preseason. It's going to make us better. And then come about October when I'm starting to freak out a little bit that we're getting close to opening up. I'm like, Alex, what were you doing? What, what were you thinking? You know, he looks at me like, and then we just laugh. So, you know, it, it's, it's, I say it every time. It's all about preparing you for your conference. It's all for preparing you for the postseason. We saw what happened this past season that, you know, we were able to get into the NC2A tournament, and we just were not able to handle – the likes of a team of Baylor and we have got to get a better draw. We've got to get a better seed going into the tournament so that we don't get a one or a two, hopefully um, so that we can advance. Cause that is the goal. The, the goal is not just to win conference and to get into the tournament. It is to advance. So all of this crazy preseason scheduling <laughs> uh, kind of, kind of gets you, I guess, warmed up for all of that. 
Yeah, no, it, it, that makes a, a lot of sense. I think it's it's something that's always exciting for the fans, and you bring in name, uh, name brand opponents and 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 sort of uh, you know uh, perennial powerhouses like a Stanford for sure uh, coming to uh, the Stan Sheriff Center. But um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of discussion and excitement surrounding this program right now. You guys have been on quite a run here over the last few months, whether it's winning on the court, uh, winning in the headlines with one of your players getting drafted into the WNBA winning in recruiting. Uh, this has been a, a pretty fun ride here uh, over the course of the last several months. How has it been from your perspective? You know, I agree. It, it was really just fun to watch Amy's career unfold in front of us. And, you know, you sit down with kids and you say, what are your goals? You know, what are your expectations? And then it happens. And, you know, that moment that she got that call um, I think every coach on staff, our phones just went crazy. And we were like, oh, my gosh, Amy just got drafted. And, you know, when that happens as a coach, you're incredibly, incredibly proud of your kids and how hard they work. And it just kind of gives you those that chicken skin moment, right? So that was fun. Um, and then just, you know, watching the girls grow off the court. You know, this off season, they've done some pretty tremendous things. Um you know, the Yip camp, and we were able to hold a basketball camp last weekend, and just their commitment to really wanting to be mentors and role models in the community, and that's not something that's just coming from us coaches down. It's coming from them up to us, and when that starts to happen in your program, you're on to something, and so the last three months for me, I've just sat back and have been kind of like, wow, I'm, I'm really impressed with this group. I'm really impressed with who they are as young women off the court, and you know, on the court is what it is right now, but off the court, just, again, tremendously, tremendously proud. Hey, Coach B, it's Brian. Hi, Brian. Hey, good to hear from you. <laughs> uh, I was wondering, when you're like the defending conference champion, you're, you know, the top t- team in your league coming back, how does that affect your non-conference scheduling the, the coming year? It, does it make it tougher to get some teams to come visit you um, are some more inviting of wanting you to play maybe at their site to help for their RPI purposes a little bit? Does it affect it at all? You know, that's a great question. We schedule usually a couple years out, or at least we start. And so we look at our roster and say, okay, if, if, and if, right? Everyone stays healthy. Everyone comes back. People, you know, develop at the rate at which we think they're going to. This is, you know, the level of schedule that we would really like. It's going to make us better, you know, try to get us above 500 record and definitely prepare us for the postseason. And so those are the things that you look at when you're recruiting. Um, What we've noticed this year is we've had a couple teams that have been like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You have Stanford and Florida Gulf Coast coming in, you know, and we have to play you guys. And we're like, you can, there's no magic eight ball here. You know, you schedule, you get into a tournament, you guys know how we schedule our tournaments. You know, Florida Gulf Coast, as good as they are, they still are a a mid-major team. Um, You know, yes, we've done well last year, but we have to stay healthy. We have to continue to grow. So I think probably more on the other side of teams coming in saying, wow, this is going to be a really, really tough tournament because you get the backhanded compliment, right, of, well, you know, we love to play you guys. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, because you think you can beat us. And so it, it's, there's not as much of that going on right now. It's like, oh, my gosh, we have to play you, Florida Gulf Coast, and Stanford in a tournament. This is a tough gig. So that's what we've noticed more. Um, you know, we're looking into the future for our tournaments next year and the following year saying this is what our roster should look like. And if it does, 
then this schedule should be challenging, you know, yet something that we can handle. Okay, so you mentioned Florida Gulf Coast, and I have to ask about this because I don't know that I've seen this in my time as a basketball beat writer on either the men or the women's side. And that is they they are coming for the Bank of Hawaii Classic from November 18 to 20. Uh, I believe that's a four-team field, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, and then they're sticking around for the Rainbow Wahine Showdown uh, after Thanksgiving. That's Thanksgiving week uh, with another four-team field with them and you guys, of course, being the the same teams and, and then Grambling State and Stanford. So, um, yeah, what was that like? I guess, did they want to stay here, like, over Thanksgiving? How, how did that all develop? Well, I mean, obviously, Florida, it's a beautiful place as well. It's not Hawaii. And so I think they looked at it where they're like, we're coming in for two games. We want to stay. We want our kids to enjoy a little bit of the Thanksgiving break. And we had a team back out on this very unexpectedly and very late. And when that uh. happened – you know, we have to then say, okay, what are we going to do to bring somebody in here? Guarantee money is hard. And when mm. you're flying people in, um, you know, it's hard to come by. And particularly coming out of a COVID year, and the, the administration does a great job with us saying, okay, what do you need and how are we going to do trade or what are we going to do here to get teams in? But when you have a team that backs out on you, say, in July, that's incredibly late for your schedule because usually your schedule is starting to take shape by January, February. So when that team backed out, we had a oh no moment that, you know, we might be spending a lot of money bringing a team out. Um, and so Alex did a phenomenal job. He reached out to Florida Gulf Coast and said, hey, what do you think? And they were like, help us out a little bit here and there. They talked to their administration and the opportunity to have Florida Gulf Coast and Stanford playing against each other and in our tournament. I think that's just going to be a tremendous tournament. That's some hefty, hefty competition. Um, you know, both those teams could possibly, we know Stanford's going to be ranked. They could be ranked in the top eight of the country, maybe let, you know, higher Florida Gulf coast is normally ranked. Mm. So that's going to be a fun tournament. So that's kind of how that played out. Um, and again, you just don't like it when teams back out for whatever reason, but that, that is why they decided to stay and thank goodness they were, you know, afforded the opportunity from their administration to do so. Oh man. Good gig for, for that team, right? Just get to cruise in Hawaii for like over a week. That's fantastic. Uh, definitely looking forward to, to those two tournaments and those two appearances. Uh, we're talking with Laura Beeman, head coach for the rainbow Wahine basketball team. Uh, a lot of the discussion, I'm sure, uh, certainly from the outside, looking into your team here, this upcoming season will revolve around uh, who you no longer have. And obviously Amy Atwell, <laughs> who, who had that, that legendary season and, and really capped a, a a record-breaking career in style, uh, but you brought in some some pieces here, and I think uh, it's going to be very compelling. Uh, at least the possibility of having this sister-sister backcourt of Lily Wahine Kapu, who transfers back in, Ilani Grad, uh, who transfers back in from Cal State Fullerton, and her sister Jovi Lefoto, also out of Iolani. Um, you're going to have this sophomore and freshman uh, backcourt potentially. Uh, how are you viewing that? How are you approaching that? What, what do you see as the possibilities there with those two players? I think there's definitely a lot of possibility. The one person that I do not want to leave out of the conversation is our big island girl, Kelsey Amai. True. You know, she's going to be that that kind of mature leader um, coming in, you know, at that point guard. She had a lot of minutes over the past couple of years based on some injuries and just based on COVID and some other crazy things. So, you know, you've got Kelsey that – I think is, is right now, if I had to say, she's going to be on the court a ton, if not a starter, 
Um, you know, the person that we're really excited about, obviously, and we already know what she can do, is Lily. Mm-hmm. You know, being freshman player of the year, she did a great job for Fullerton. She makes everyone around her better. And so when you look at some different combinations, you know, with those two, and then, yeah, let's talk about Jovi. I mean, Jovi was Gatorade Player of the Year on State of Hawaii. She's got a huge, huge potential. Hers is going to be learning curve. Hers is going to be can she play at the pace? Can she play at the physicality um, and the processing speed that, you know, Lily was so capable and, and really just picked it up so quickly at Fullerton. And a lot of that's because she got so much time on the court. That, that really is where, you know, Joby's going to have her learning curve is can she play at the pace she needs to play at? My guess is yes. Um, it's going to take her some time. She's going to get there. The great thing for Jovi is there's not going to be pressure on her to have to come in and perform immediately. And I think sometimes that makes players take a deep breath and say, okay, I got the opportunity to learn and there's no pressure on me. Um, but I think between our three Hawaii girls, you know, we're in great shape at our point position. And then you're going to have them flanked by, you know, <laughs> Olivia Davies and Deja, and hmm. Elani, and Ashley Toms. And so, you know, we're really excited. I, hopefully I didn't leave anybody out there. Um, Mac, McKenna, um, I can go on and on, but they're going to be flanked by those girls who have a lot of leadership, a lot of experience. And so when we do bring in some youth at times, our, our flanks for the, that point guard position is going to be really, really helpful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're excited. We're excited about the depth. We're excited about some of the things that we have. Um, obviously Amy is going to be a loss and it's, it's just as much the ability for her to shoot, right? We know what a great Mm -hmm. shooter she was. Um, you know, I remember that game you called where you were like, you know, she can just shoot with her eyes shut. And basically, (laughs) you know, you were hyping her up and basically she was coming across half court and she was pulling the trigger. What we're going to be missing with Amy is the spacing that she provided us because she had to be guarded. And so when you have a shooter like Amy, it opens up your floor for your guards to attack. And so that's going to be our challenge is to figure out how do we regain that spacing. Um, I think we'll be able to find the points with, with what we have coming back and coming in, but it's going to be how we generate those points. Yeah, you sound excited. I think that's getting us excited. Obviously, we're still a ways out, but uh, the big announcement yesterday of the unveiling of the schedule uh, definitely has us looking forward uh, to this uh, conference championship defense uh, that you are about to put on here uh, with your program. So we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for your time, Coach, and uh, we'll be bothering you again soon. (laughs) I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. All right. Coach B. Laura Beeman, head coach for the Rainbow Wahine basketball program. All right, we got to take a break. We'll have some uh, news actually regarding Rainbow Wahine volleyball when we come back. Before we do, though, let's talk a little pizza, shall we? Domino's Hawaii is helping to fight inflation with you. And so this week only, get 50% off all pizzas when you order online or on the Domino's app. Let's talk sports with Kanoa He is brought to you by Domino's Pizza of Hawaii. We deliver Aloha. All right. When we come back, we'll dip into the bucket of questions, plus some news about Rainbow Wahine Volleyball tomorrow. That's coming up. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy coming to you from the Paxa Studios in Honolulu being joined because it is a Friday and he does mop-up duty. BMAC, Brian McKinnis of the Spectrum News app. Josh Pacheco is working the board. Uh, cool announcement here for Rainbow Wahine volleyball fans. Uh, just getting word that tomorrow's practice, uh, which will 
serve basically as a scrimmage workout uh, is going to be held in the arena at the Stan Sheriff Center, uh, and it will be open to the public. Now, they are not, I guess, opening the concessions. Uh, there will not be food or drink, but you can feel free to bring water with you. Uh, again, uh, that's going to be 2 o'clock to 4 p.m. in the arena, Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center. No food or drink, but you can bring water, and it is free. Open practice for the Rainbow Wahine volleyball team. You know, they start their season in a week. They will do so on the road in the Lone Star State. So, uh, yeah, here we go. It is that time, my man, BMAC. I just dropped by Wahine volleyball practice right before I come into the studio, and, yeah, uh, Robin was was trying to get, you know, media, fans, anybody to come out because I think they maybe are still going through some withdrawals from last season of having <laughs> yeah, yeah. no fans for like the first half and then, what, 500 or fewer for the rest of the way. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's uh, it's that time of year, man. Uh, you got soccer going, you got football, you got rainbow, you know, volleyball. Uh, it is upon us, that's for sure. All right, well, uh, let's see. We have um, a couple of questions that we got to dig out of the bucket o questions josh you have the bucket there sitting on your lap can you reach in and pull one out for us yeah by the way when's the last time anybody cleaned this bucket i know it's a you know that was yeah. a keegan ota task but he's not here anymore so i'm not sure who uh, takes the mantle there this, this thing's a little grimy <laughs> um first question out of this bucket what were your impressions of the board of regents meeting yesterday as many people know by now they approved the 30 million dollar expansion project for the clarence tc ching athletics complex thoughts gentlemen oh that's a that's Quite a coincidence, because that's exactly what I wanted to ask BMAC earlier in the show anyway. Hey. Funny how the bucket always provides. All right, BMAC, what were your impressions? Because you followed this thing. Yeah, I watched the live stream, and uh, there were 10 voting members, uh, and as well as President David Lasner, Athletic Director David Matlin, uh, other UH officials in the room when they were discussing this. But I guess the prevailing sentiment that I took away was uh, the urgency or sense of from from these um, you know representatives of the University of Hawaii seeming to to get uh, the fact that hey if they don't take some form of action here there is at least a chance that UH is in danger of losing its FBS Division One football status based on the attendance level of fifteen thousand they have to average every two year period so uh, you know there there were some regions who who really kind of gave impassioned, you know, pleas really to, to the rest of their uh, members there to, hey, the time to act is now. If, mm -hmm. we, if we, you know, dilly-dally about this, like there, there might be an expanded cost. There might be a potential gap where football falls through and then it takes that much more work to dig it back out of. So, uh, you know, I, I, I tip my cap to them for uh, realizing that they have a special opportunity with this money, this one-time use kind of use it or lose it money really that they're getting from federal pandemic relief that they have to shift around but basically they can apply it toward this chain complex project yeah you know it, it, like i said it, sometimes out of desperation uh, greatness can be achieved uh, it seems as though the motivation is certainly there on the part of the university of hawaii to to try to establish uh, some level of self uh, sufficiency right I, I think that's a huge thing here not be so reliant on the uh, state legislature because you know that that stadium debacle uh, occurred and and there's really no guarantee uh, that that thing is going to be built in a timely fashion let alone built at all no that's that is precisely what i was going to add is that it, it was explicitly mentioned in this meeting by president lasner on down like 
we have little to no faith that this NASED project will be delivered by 2026 is the new timetable. You know, that's if the RFP process from here on out goes smoothly and the, the demolition of existing Aloha Stadium. And it's been delayed so many times that there's, they're not holding their breath for that to come through in that timetable. So, hey, they, they're taking upon themselves to act. Yeah, uh, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? All right, Josh, what's, uh, is there another question there at the bottom of the bucket? There is. There are also some random Doritos in the bottom of the bucket. <laughs> oh, that's Keegan for sure. Yeah, uh, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, not one, not two, not three, uh, but reportedly set to produce a documentary about the 2008 USA men's basketball Olympic team. So, guys, who wins in a matchup between the 1992 Dream Team and the 2008 Redeem Team? I mean, it is our radio sports talk obligation to ask this question whenever anything about 92 or 2008 or LeBron, Jordan, all that stuff. It is our duty. It is our destiny uh, as uh, radio conversationalists. But yeah, all right, let's let's uh, let's break that down because the Dream Team is the team that uh, started that whole thing, right? When the uh, professionals decided to, to play basketball, representing the... United States of America, and you had some of the true legends of the game, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan. But in the case of Magic and Larry, uh, they were sort of at the tail end of mm -hmm. their storied careers. Larry Bird could b barely stand up. He was lying down on the sideline because his back was so jacked. Uh, you had Michael Jordan at peak powers. You had Charles Barkley on the verge of his MVP campaign in the NBA the following year, I believe. You had Scottie Pippen. I think the centers for the Dream Team, David Robinson and Patrick Ewing, uh, would compare favorably to the big men for the 2008 Redeem Team, which included Chris Bosh and Dwight Howard. But that Redeem Team there was nobody that was sort of at the tail end of their careers. You're talking about, like, peak LeBron in terms of his speed and athleticism. Dwayne Wade at the peak of his powers. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, who was a, a scoring machine for that team. Kobe bleeping Bryant, for crying out loud. And when you see that Redeem team in transition... Uh, it was mind-blowing how fast they could get up and down the floor. I'd have to lean, and this is going to be sacrilege to some... I have to lean towards the Redeem team. I think that team was just a little bit more in its prime, like roster-wide. I think they were just a little bit faster and more athletic in transition, and they didn't have to worry about getting minutes for a guy like Christian Leitner or anything like that. First of all, we all knew that this is the direction it was going with whenever LeBron's involved. <laughs> oh, are you saying I'm biased? Uh, not at all. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> No, come on. You have the biggest LeBron bias there I'm is. A, I'm a LeBron stand. You are. Um, now, if you stacked up the names for each team, Redeem Team and Original Dream Team, independent of what year of their career they're in, I would probably go Original Dream Team. But the the points of their careers that you talked about, mm -hmm. it absolutely would be a factor if you're talking about that moment in time. You know, You could probably settle this on NBA 2K. I think most of those guys, other than Charles Barkley, who's still a holdout on NBA 2K for his likeness rights uh, for some strange reason, <laughs> uh, you could probably pit them head to head. But Barkley being such a huge part, I believe the leading scorer on the original Dream Team, yeah, uh, even ahead of Michael. So, when well, I believe Carmelo was the leading scorer for the Redeem Team, too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good trivia question right there. And uh, you mentioned nobody was at the end of their their 
tail end of their careers for the Redeem. I believe Jason Kidd was. He Maybe. was kind of the old veteran and yet still a big-time contributor for that team. Well, you also had Chris Paul and Darren Williams uh, that were locking Crazy. down that point guard yeah. position. So, I mean, they were just really athletic. I, it, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, you had the, the combo of John Stockton and, and Carl Malone with that dream team. Like, that. that's that's pretty special right there. Uh, th- those guys were winners. They were champions. They were bona fides. Um, I think the Redeem team, though, I'm just going to lean towards the youth there, a little bit of the evolution of, of the game. I'm not here saying LeBron's better than Jordan. I'm not saying that. Jordan and Pippen in any era would have been uh, top dogs for sure. But I just think if you're comparing those rosters in, in, in the realities that they were, not just the names, but at those specific times, that Redeem team, man, go watch some highlights on YouTube of that team running up and down the floor in transition. It was numbing how fast they were like it was crazy like it's just it's a fun watch like it's just a a good way to pass the time for sure and i don't want to like totally discount the contributions of magic and bird magic still in that infamous bald yeah infamous practice that they had in in spain right it was uh you know when him and michael were on opposite sides of the scrimmage and they were just going barking at each other going back and forth um you know so clearly magic was still had plenty left in the tank but uh, as you said, Larry Bird was on his last legs or lying on his back on the sideline for a lot of it. Uh, and Christian Leitner kind of, you know, a liability on that level of play at that time. So, yeah, if you're talking depth of roster, I would also kind of give the nod to the redeem. All right. So we're, that's two redeems. Are we going two redeems? Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's two redeems. Josh, uh, nod your head. Are you in agreement? Redeem or dream? Yeah, he is. All right. <laughs> hey, maybe it's generational, but we're going redeem team on this one. Uh, all right. A reminder, it's called the coach with Timmy Chang. We're going to be doing this every Wednesday, 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday in the Moanalua Shopping Center. You can call or text in with your questions and comments to John Veneri and Coach Chang. Brought to you by Ruby Tuesday Hawaii, IBEW Local 1186, Hawaiian Financial Federal Credit Union, Hawaii Pacific Health, and PAXA. Crunch time, best and worst, when we come back. All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. It is crunch time here on this Friday, final segment of the week. I got Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app up here with me. It is time for our best and worst. BMAC, what is your best? Well, man, we didn't touch on this as part of the uh, Ching Complex money that's being infused in this project, $30 million in total. But it really breaks down into two projects, 15 mil and 15 mil, with the track relocation to the Cook Field. And that's where the UH soccer team currently practices. They play their games at yep. YPO Peninsula Soccer Stadium, have pretty much for the entirety of their career uh, existence as a program. That will be the future site of their games, will be Cook Field on campus. They're going to level off the part that the football team practices on. So it's going to be one big grass field for practicing and eventually games. We don't know exactly when that will be. they got to put in lights, maybe concessions, a PA booth, that kind of thing. But it's cool knowing that they could just go 50 feet versus all the way out to WPSS, which is actually a good venue, all things considered. Yeah, that's going to be good for Coach Bud in that program. My best is Jacob deGrom. Didn't factor into the decision in the Mets' loss to Atlanta last night, but they flashed this stat. He has allowed one run or fewer in 49% of his career starts, dating back to the start of his career in 2014. That's the highest number in Major League Baseball for pitchers with a minimum of 1,000 innings pitched since 1920. That's crazy. All right, real quick, what's your worst? Okay, we talked about Little League World Series. I have issues with the bracket. Like, Hawaii, the Little League Honolulu team got picked randomly as 
one of the first four teams in the first round, whereas six teams from the U.S. got to buy just by random chance. I don't know. If you're having 10 U.S. teams, you got to find a way to equalize that. Though. Yeah, and double elimination until the championship when it's just a one-off. That seems a little weird. My worst, Dodgers reporter David Vasse injured himself sliding down Bernie's chalet. That's uh, in Milwaukee what the mascot for the Brewers, Bernie Brewer, slides down when Milwaukee hits a home run. Uh, Vasse broke two bones in his right wrist and cracked six ribs when he did it as a gag, tumbled and crashed into the padding at the end of the slide. Uh, but the guy, he uh, pushed through and, and finished uh, his broadcast. So uh, congratulations to him. But still, ouch, that was my worst. BMAC, thanks. Josh, thanks. We'll see you next week, everybody. Let's talk sports.